For us, that's not a once a year thing on Easter. For us, that's every Sunday um, that we get to celebrate what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're celebrating a lot of things this morning. And um, I want to introduce to you a a couple of those things um, before I get into my sermon. Um, And um, we're obviously closing our sermon with just a really spectacular opportunity for our young people to get baptized. And uh, we're just so excited about that and the many guests that are here this morning to see them and to support them. Many of you have invested um, so much in their lives, um, so much more than our church has. Um, But we all partner together, I think, for the same cause. And that's to see Christ glorified in the hearts and lives of um, young people and uh, seniors and middle-aged and everyone that we can influence. So just uh, great to be here this morning. We have um, this morning um, a lot of things that we're celebrating. One thing that we're celebrating in particular is we, we have a group of people in our church that are going to be traveling to Kenya on a missions trip. So I just wanted to invite them just to stand in front right now if Mark and Joe can join me. They're leaving on what day? Is it Tuesday? Tuesday, they're leaving for t- on Tuesday for 10 days, Pat, or two weeks, something like that. Um, they'll be back eventually. <laughs> and uh, we just want to pray for them. If you guys could all just, there, so our church, many of you, many others outside of this church support a ministry called Compassion International. And Compassion International basically supports um, young people all throughout the world that don't have much money. So um, we sponsor kids to give them food, education, Bibles, the gospel. And we get to go visit them. Um, <clears throat> if, um, uh, if we so choose. And that's what they're going to do. They're going to Kenya, and for about two weeks, they're going to be visiting the young people, giving them gifts. It's going to be such an amazing blessing, an amazing time. So we just want to pray for them right now real quick, if you, if you could pray with us. <clears throat> Dear God, thank you so much, Lord, for, um, for Pat and Joe and for Barbara and David for making this sacrifice to, to travel to a very foreign and very strange place. Um, But God, thank you for the desire to uh, demonstrate love to young people, to children that need love, that don't get much of it. Um, God, thank you for their support of them. I pray that you would give them safety in their travels. God, I pray, Lord, that um, you would strengthen their faith, that they would have such a wonderful time with the children, that there would be clarity and um, that the children would feel the love of Christ and know who he is. Um, I thank you, Lord, for just these special people, would you bless them and give them safety and strength? Um, um, we just ask you, Lord, for just an amazing blessing in the trip that they're about to take. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, give them a hand. Thank you. <clears throat> so this morning is also our fourth anniversary as a church. We started four years ago, and you're going to see some slides on the screen before and after church and also right now just kind of highlighting some of the things that we've gotten to do as a church. Um, Now, I know many of you are here for a baptism. You weren't really expecting this, but if you can humor me just for a moment, um, because I want to demonstrate how everything that we do actually, I think, leads to moments like this. Um, And it's been such a a blessing for us to be, be here as a church for four years. We started in East Providence, actually. We were there for six months. And um, uh, and we we just were blessed to have this place um, open up for us. And we've been doing uh, ministry here for about three and a half years. My wife and I moved to Warren. Um, some others in the church moved to Warren as well. And we're just trying to love on the community, um, to be known um, by what we give to the community, not what we take from it. And that's that's really our mo and what we desire to see um, happen in our community and in our lives. Um, So I just want to take a short moment um, to to show you why this is important. 
And to, to even see how it ties into our baptism, just to go over some of the things that God has done for us as a church. Now, God is active in so many churches around us. I have friends down the street from us starting churches, and one in Warren, another in Bristol, starting new churches, and God is um, faithful to them. So we're not the only ones that um, the Lord is blessing, and there are good churches around us, us faithful ones. Um, so I don't do this to brag. I do this actually to brag on my God, um, because he is good. Um, since we launched our first service in 2015, we've um, primarily met on Sunday mornings for church service like this, and we've had small groups. Um, at our services, we've been able to greet over 400 first-time guests with love and hospitality, um, with Bibles, with gifts, um, not monetary ones, so you can put your bag back under your seat if you got one this morning. But there is a Bible in there. That's better than money. Um, we've had 12 community events, um, over 12 community events, and we've seen over 1,000 people over the past four years kind of flood onto this grass at different things like trunk or treats and Easter egg hunts and all the things that we just try to offer the community, not to amuse or entertain, but to, to get to know people, to hear their stories, to pray with them, to give them Bibles. Um, we've, we've seen people like um, Barbara and David and Pat and Joe um, over the past four years go to many other places in foreign mission fields. So that's been such a great blessing. Our church has given away over $30,000 um, to families in need in our local community, to local charities. Um, and we set aside... Um, 12% of our, of our income um, for, for missions and for people in need, basically. Um, so that has been just a great blessing for us to be able to help people when they're in trouble. Um, and what a, what a gift that's been and to have a church that's generous like that and benevolent like that. Um, we've gotten to, to sponsor dozens of, of um, young people from all over the world. And if you, after church, if you go into that room over there, you'll see their faces all over the wall. So if you want to go check that out as well. Um, that's, that's been awesome. We've had uh, many small groups start, many of which many of you are involved in. Um, Mark Rodericks in the back that's going to be doing baptisms, we installed this year as one of our pastors. Um, so give him a round of applause. <clears throat> that's been really awesome. All right, that's enough. Um, that's, been, that's been really awesome for me sometimes if I just need a break and I need people to, to help me with different things. Um, so I, so um, God has blessed us with some good pastors in this church, so I'm just so um, happy about that. We've seen our young people, we call our, our young um, people ministry seeds, and, um, and they've done so much. They've done Christmas caroling, they've, they've hosted um, times at our worship services where they've done concerts, and, and we just had a really great presentation at Christmas Eve, and what a great ministry there is. Our core team of leaders are just fantastic people, and I gotta give them shouts out, because they have such a great vision. Um, my mother and my stepdad, Dave, are very influential. You probably got greeted by them. They, they take care of our hospitality ministry. Um, they, they're why this place is clean. Um, they have a great team that keep this place clean um, and just looking nice. And um, not only that, but also to greet you all with love. And they have a great vision for that. Um, our brother Bill, who is just up here, leads a men's ministry um, who, who is just having a great influence on the discipleship of our men. Pat Marin, who you just saw, has a vision for missions. Um, she also heads up our women's ministry, and um, gosh, she is just so involved in the community at different events with police, um, uh, with the police and fire department, and we've had such a great um, opportunity to serve people. That's a picture right there of us at the police department, um, just showing them love and giving them lunch. I told them my real plan is to fatten you up so that we can run away, like when we're, 
when we're in trouble, like we can really get out of there. Um, my wife, uh, Tammy Rodericks, gosh, she does so much work. God bless her. She's our treasurer. She heads up our outreach events, which she's, she's basically the team leader for that. Trunk or treat, Easter, you name it, this thing. She does, she does it all, and she's such a godly woman, and we're so thankful for her. My wife, Mandy, leads our seeds ministry, um, and that basically is our, our, our service to um, our kids on Sunday morning. And they, as I said, they just do so much. There they are right there, um, singing to us at Christmas time. These are all geared up for 2019, um, to make 2019 our best year of service to Christ. Um, we all do this for you all, uh, many of you guests, for our church itself, to serve you with the love of Christ. Um, and you members of our church and congregants that are faithful, that work hard, um, that I didn't name this morning, um, you're the lifeblood here. And I'm just so thankful um, to have a godly church that loves Jesus Christ, that works hard, that has vision. So. God bless you, and I'm going to give you guys a round of applause, so you can applause someone else. <laughs> so thank you for your service. Um, I'm not saying this to gloat in our accomplishments. It's just the opposite. Um, how grateful we are to God that he's using simple people like us um, to build this church. I'm not smart enough. I know that. I'm not good looking enough. Neither are you, by the way. Um, <laughs> You know, we, you know, like if we look internally, we just can't do a heaven work. We need God to do it. And I'm just so thankful that, that God is blessing our ministry here in, in uh, many different ways. And I'm thankful for you all for your participation in that gospel message as well. Just looking, for, like I said, to the year ahead. To just, I'm, I'm personally trying to get better at um, teamwork, um, just having a good core team of leaders. Um, and we're going to continue reaching our community, making disciples, and just keep going. So, um, again, thank you for being here. All this work, like I said, I want to transition now um, to just some thoughts on baptism. Um, all our efforts have a goal, and one of those goals is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, people that don't know him. And <clears throat> one of um, the, the purposes of baptism is for people who have come to faith in Jesus Christ, whether new or old, sometimes people um, get baptized much later on in life, but it's to demonstrate the fact that they have that they trust in Christ and they've come to Christ and that they're following Christ. Um, so, so all of the, these efforts really kind of lead us up to um, other things, but especially this, um, baptism. I know um, that this local church is not the only place. There's six people up here. And some of these guys we just met. Um, and for the past six months to a year, we've been investing in loving and teaching and growing and praying with them. But some of you have known them for years and have spent much more time with them in investment. And to you, we thank you for your love, your moms and your dads, your cousins and friends. God bless you for your influence on their life. Um, ultimately, it's not any one of us uh, that changes a soul. It's Jesus Christ. Um, so we just are thankful that we get to be part of the process. But our goal here is just to do that. Um, baptism in the Bible is an, an announcement of new faith or, or even old faith um, in Jesus Christ. So we could argue that everything that we've done from 2015 to 2019, all our prayer meetings, all our gospel presentations, our shared meals, all of this um, has led us up to this point, um, to see young people demonstrate um, their faith publicly and their love for Jesus Christ. Amen? <clears throat> so we have the privilege um, this morning of witnessing the testimony of the grace of God um, in six people. And just before we begin that testimony, I want to um, comment a bit more on a passage of scripture and just preach for a little bit 
and I, I promise you I won't be too long, um, but I want to um, just explain the significance of baptism, the importance of it. So if you could stand with me just for a moment, I'm going to read God's word, um, and if you could all follow along, it's, I'm in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. It says, that day when evening had come, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd, <clears throat> they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? This is God's word. Could you pray with me? <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and ask your favor and help each and every person in this room to understand the relevance of baptism in their life, not just these young people's lives, the relevance of it in their life, the relevance of Christ in their life, in my life, and how important he is to our life. I pray this in your name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. <clears throat> so Jesus enters a boat with his disciples after a long day of ministry. He says, let's get into this boat and crosses the Sea of Galilee right into a storm, a huge one, a monster of a storm. A These guys were professional fishermen that got into the boat with Jesus. Many of his disciples were actually vocational fishermen, so they're used to these sorts of storms. But this one must have been a whopper because these guys were terrified. These were experienced sailors clutching to the stern, begging Jesus to wake up because they were sore afraid that they were going to die that moment. And you know, with full knowledge of this storm, you remember who Jesus is. Jesus is the one that knows all. With full knowledge that this storm was waiting for them, Jesus puts these few on the boat headed for the storm. And Jesus goes with them. And he's about to teach them the most important lesson of their lives and hopefully most, the most important lesson of our lives. Friends, this has everything to do with baptism. This story has everything to do with baptism, and hopefully by the end, you'll see why. How relevant it is, not just to the baptismal candidate sitting in the front row here, but to every single person sitting in this room. It demonstrates for us exactly what baptism is all about, what it points to. And I believe I can see four things in this story that it points to. 
baptism points to four things in our lives. Number one, going to the other side. Number two, swamped in the squall. Number three, the life Jesus commands. And number four, our response. So four things, and we're going to go through each of them one at a time. So baptism means first going to the other side. This is very important. It says, let us go to the other side and leave the crowds behind. Let us go to the other side and leave the crowds behind. Being a Christian means on a certain level that you have gone to the other side and you have left the crowds behind. Let me explain. There's a psalm that I've been meditating on lately in chapter 4, and it reads this. It says, O you sons of men, how long... Now, this is rough. You guys ready for this? Because it's rough. O you sons of men, how long will you blaspheme my honor and have such pleasure in vanity and seek after lies? Another translation reads, How long will you love delusions and seek after false gods. Now these are tough words, because it's speaking to us, to all of us, myself included, the one with the mic. They're hard words. And words like this I know sometimes in our modern world, these are the kinds of words that turn us off right away. That's why I'm not a Christian. I'm here for my nephew, and he's cute, and I'm just supporting him, but this is why I'm not a Christian. This is why I don't go to church. This is just too judgmental. But before you dismiss it on that level, can you just try to stay with me for a moment? Before we dismiss this, consider the question, how long will we have such pleasure in vanity? Oh, friends, if I could take a poll in this room, the human heart is prone, it is directed toward, it leans toward finding our pleasure in vanity. Vanity, okay, that's a kind of an old word. What's that talking? Vanity. Me. Finding pleasure in me. Right? I look in the mirror. You guys have mirrors at home. Some of you looked in them this morning. Some of you didn't. (laughs) I look in the mirror seeking pleasure. How do I look? Do I look good? Am I overweight? Am I underweight? Do I, you know, how is my face? I look in the mirror seeking pleasure based on how I look. But I find very often only shame looking back at me. You see, I'm looking to myself for pleasure. You say, okay, that's not what really gives me my kicks, how I look. But maybe your riches do. And we find in life that we're never rich enough or beautiful enough or smart enough. We really push towards it. And every now and then we think that we're clever or wealthy or safe people, but then a turn comes and we realize that it's vain, that it holds no water, that what I thought would affirm me and applaud me and congratulate me actually is now crushing me. How long will you take such pleasure in vanity? In other words, when will we wake up to the fact that our pleasure is not found in God's creation, but in God himself. You see? How long? And we might hem and haw, this sounds tough, but isn't it true? 
we chase our tails over and over, new relationships one after another, and we still find ourselves wanting more. It's never enough. We continually return to that mirror, seeking pleasure, but always in a delusion, always in a lie. We become our own God, our own source of joy, our own end, and it returns void. It's vain. How long, the psalmist asks, will you keep going back to broken pots that hold no water? Friends, baptism is a visual image of a shift, a change of identity. I went in this, I came out that. Now, it's an example. It's not, nothing magical is happening in baptism. It points to a spiritual reality. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was this, now I'm that. Coming to Christ means that you leave the crowd behind, the vanity behind, the delusion that you can find pleasure in the crowds. You leave it behind. Coming to Christ means this. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you forget this from time to time. It doesn't mean that you now hate the other side. It just means that you get it now. It means your life is no longer yours. You're no longer in the same vain pursuit for pleasure and self-worth as what is present in the rest of this world that we live in. The old way of thinking has become a new way of thinking. You see that? Number two, baptism symbolizes that Christians are those swamped in a squall. Oh, bad news, right? Christians are those swamped in a squall. This, the same Jesus that knew the storm was coming is now asleep on a cushion in the middle of a horrific storm. During the most horrific drama of their lives, they find their creator and Lord asleep. We all face swamping squalls in our lives. Amen? Someone dies. A spouse leaves us. Dealing with the perpetual loneliness of singleness. We're in a squall sometimes. And it's hard. And all throughout time, all through all the millennia of this spinning earth, you know what we always ask God, don't you care that we are perishing? It's the same question. You see, these disciples ask Jesus what you ask him when your life is out of control. Isn't that interesting? How ubiquitous that idea is, that question to God, don't you care that we are perishing? Not only do you seem not to care, but you're sleeping comfortably on a certipostropedic at the front of the boat. What's going on, Jesus? Don't you see what's happening to us? How many people have been there? And it leaves us disillusioned and angry, and sometimes we leave our faith altogether because we're that sore, mad at God. You know, friends, there are two kinds of death in life, okay? Two kinds of separation, that is the death of God's creation, the separation from God's creation, and the separation from God. Let me explain to you what I mean. 
we experience two kinds of death, two kinds of loss. We can lose something in life that's dear to us, like a relationship or a job or status or health, right? There's, it's connected to the created thing. So we lost something. It's gone now, no matter what it might be. That's one kind. But there's another kind, separation from God. Does God, if this is so much more existential, so much more, so much more of a soul problem. Does God love me? Has God left me? See how significant that question is. So there's two kinds of separation. And friends, I'd like to suggest to you this morning that both are connected because we don't always distinguish one from the other. Right? When we experience the separation from something that we lost in this creation, it begs the question if God is also separated from us. If he could have done something about this. Right? Everything's going wrong. We're sinking, and God is sleeping comfortably on a pillow. Doesn't he care? We see a constant in the human experience, and this is not unique to just Christians. This is everybody, Christian or not. The constant is the squall. If you haven't faced it yet because maybe you're five years old, you're going to face one, the squall. In baptism, this squall is symbolized by being lowered into the water. The water is the squall, okay? The water is the judgment. It's the, it's the problem. It's the trial, right? So in baptism, the squall is symbolized by being lowered into the water. Do, do you recall the significance of water in Scripture? In, in the Bible, water is very, very often, oceans and seas are very, very often viewed as judgment from God. God's holiness has been offended, so he's judging sin. You remember God flooded the earth and preserved Noah. He flooded the earth with water and preserved Noah. Do you remember uh, Moses um, parting the Red Sea and then that same sea falling down on the Egyptians and destroying them? Okay. How about Jonah? You recall Jonah thrown into the sea and swallowed by a big fish. So the sea in Scripture is, also a, is often a symbol of of God's holiness being violate, violated and God punishing sin, God judging sin. So you, so you see, friends, there's the squall, but then there's the squall under the squall. There's the squall, and then there's the squall under the squall, the real squall, the real storm, the real problem. Oh, and please pay attention to this, because this is so important, friends. There's the squall, and then there's the squall under the squall. The first squall are tragic events of, of life that leave us hurting and confused. But the squall under the squall, that's the greater squall. That's being separate from God. Does, has God left me? If this happened and that happens, does this mean that God doesn't care about me? God has left me. Is that the real squall? You see the difference? How can we lost sinners approach him and not be drowned in the sea of our own sin? Are we and will we finally be separated from God's perfect love? And friends, that's the real fear. That's the fear that drives all other fears. You see, you think you might be anxious or concerned or afraid of one thing or another, but really underneath all that 
is a deeper question about your safety and your relationship with God, the deeper squall. And friends, baptism symbolizes the death of sin. The death of the problem of our separation from God. The real problem, you see? You see, but in baptism, what we have symbolized is that they weren't just going through the squall alone. Jesus was with them. And here's where this turns around. And this is where where this becomes a blessed assurance for every person in this room if you simply trust in Christ. Jesus is present. Baptism, therefore, symbolizes the life Jesus commands, number three. The life Jesus commands. There are a couple of curious things that happens when Jesus gets woken up. Okay, I don't know if you notice these things. These guys are terrified. They run to Jesus. Wake up, don't you care? Okay, that's kind of what's going on here. There are a couple of things that I think are curious. The first thing is his calm and simple command. He wakes up, sort of kind of goes to the edge of the boat, and pretty much just says, enough. Right? And the storm stops. He, is, he doesn't pontificate any kind of magical sea incantation like, you know, like Queen Ursula, right? Like Bavuga Saruga, come winds of the Caspian Sea from the Little Mermaid, right? He doesn't go into this kind of witch's diatribe, right? He doesn't get like Storm from X-Men, start levitating above the, the boat. His eyes start turning black. He's mad and he commands everything to stop and starts whipping lightning and all this. It's not dramatic like that. It's a very simple, he gets up, kind of rubs his robe a little bit, shh, and it stops. Very simple. It's not dramatic. He simply says, quiet. And like a trained dog, this is the, se- the second interesting thing to me. Like a trained dog sitting at his master's command, the storm sits immediately. The text says, that the winds and the seas calmed immediately. Now, this is incredible. I don't know if you've ever witnessed a major hurricane, but before and after the winds come, the sea generally tends to be pretty violent, doesn't it? So even after the hurricane leaves, you still got a lot of waves and a lot of squalls. But the Bible says that when Jesus said quiet, the waves stopped and the sea was like glass. The power of Christ. He stops the winds and he stops the sea. You know that in ancient times, um, in like mythological stories about people kind of doing miraculous things like this, what's unique about this story is that Jesus doesn't call on any higher power. Oftentimes, when you read like ancient literature, they would say something like in the name of Zeus or Apollos or whatever it might be, you know, I command you to stop, or this storm to stop, or this wave to stop. They would always call on a higher power. But Jesus doesn't do that in this instance. And this is a very interesting point to make. The reason that Jesus doesn't call upon a higher power is because he is the higher power. He is the God of the storm. He is the God of creation. God in the flesh says, be still. And it's calm as glass. Oh, isn't that incredible, friends? That Jesus Christ holds the power of your life. And with a word, he can calm the sea. 
You know, one time Jesus was with the Pharisees on the Sabbath, and he tells, and, and he tells the, fa- the Pharisees this. He says, I'm not just here to instruct you about the Sabbath rest. I am the Sabbath rest. I'm the rest you're looking for. You see? You see how, how important this is, friends? The life Jesus commands isn't life in you. It's him. He is the life. He is everything you've been looking for. Everything you've been looking for in a spouse, in a husband, in a wife, in a friend, in children, in jobs, in status, in power, in money. Everything that you have been looking for your whole life is found in Jesus Christ. That's because he made you. He made you for him. He didn't make you to work for him. He made you for a love relationship with him. And until you come to believe that, your storms won't make sense and God will seem like a villain. You see, friend, we have two attitudes that we can develop about this. Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil, for you are with us. The squall can't touch you if Jesus is with you. The squall can't touch you if Jesus is with you. That means your sins are forgiven. If God is holy and he is according to the Bible and we deserve separation from him because of sin, if that's the real squall, Jesus Christ is in that boat with us and he calms the sea. And we get relationship with God the Father. He goes down into the water with us, down into the baptism with us, down into the squall, and comes out with us on the other side in new life. See? So there's only two attitudes, I think, that we can take about, about squalls in life. The monumental squalls of life are either an accident of nature, right? If there's no God and there's no Christ that loves us, it's just an accident of nature. Tragedies of life, loss, death, divorce, all of it, these are just burps of evolution, We're all here living by the blind forces of nature. And when you die to dust you return, no one to remember you, whether you were good or cruel, simply won't matter. Right? But if Jesus is Lord of the storm, then he calms it. He does something about it. He does something about your tragedy, about your loss. He answers it. He resurrects you from the dead from it. It puts it into perspective. It gives you purpose. No matter, someone once said, no matter what shape the world is in or your life is in, you will find Jesus provides all the healing, all the rest, all the power you could ever possibly want. Come and get it, friends. Come and get it. And this leads to my final point here tonight. I'm almost done. Tonight, yeah, this is long. Is anyone, I can't see that clock. What time is it? Okay, I'm doing good. All right. Yeah, 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 buddy, according to you. <laughs> Our response. Did, did you notice in the text that the disciples' fear increased when the storm was over? They were afraid in the storm. When it was calmed and they realized that they were wondering who Jesus was, they were terrified. It's an intensified word for fear. Their fear turned to terror. Jesus calms the sea, and they're terrified. They're safe now. What are they so afraid of? They're not afraid of the sea anymore. Now, this is odd. They're afraid of Jesus. I want you to recall something I said earlier. The real fear 
The fear that drives all other fears is that we will once and for all finally be outside of God's love, drowned in the sea and separate, separated from his loving compassion. That's the real fear. Jesus calming the storm means that life is not purely material and natural. It means that he's God. It means that there is a God. The real fear then is will Jesus calm the storm for me? Or will I be separated from God? Let me say it like this. Does God love me? That's the question. If God is real and he's true and he just stopped the storm, he's the force to be reckoned with. He's the squall. Does he love me? That's now the most important question of life. That's the question. And they conclude that he doesn't love them because he permitted this storm. They went to a false conclusion. How can we be sure that he loves us? How can we faith in that? How can we believe in that? Because that's the response Jesus invokes. He says, why are you afraid? Do you not yet believe? Do you not yet have faith? And in, in who everything I am doing right now should point to the fact that I do love you. So let your fear turn to faith. Trust him. I want to close by addressing this question a little bit more. You know that this story here almost is a mirror image of another story in the Old Testament. Did you know this? Who knows which one it is? Jonah. I'll give, it, I'll give you the answer, right? It's almost a mirror image of the story of Jonah in the Old Testament. I know some of you knew that. You're just a little bashful. It's okay. Right? Let me give you some of the comparisons. Jesus and Jonah are in a boat. Okay? Jesus and Jonah are asleep on the boat, comfortably. A great storm begins. A terrifying storm begins. In both stories, the sailors wake up Jesus and Jonah because the storm was so great, they thought that they were going to die and they needed their help. Right? Both had miraculous interventions that calmed the sea. And both sets of sailors were more terrified after the sea was calmed than they were before it was calmed. You see, amazing parallels. This is on purpose. The writer of the Gospel of Mark is doing this on purpose, and let me explain to you why. Almost identical, except one thing is different. Jonah tells the sailors, as opposed to Jesus, Jonah tells the sailors, if I die you'll live. you got to throw me into the sea if you want to live. But if I live, you will die. I'm the problem here. This is Jonah's words to them. So what do they do? Like any one of us would do, okay, plunk. Goodbye. Goodbye, Jonah. Hello, Kyle. This doesn't happen to Jesus. Or does it? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says this. Listen to these words. Focus on this. Jesus says this. One greater than Jonah is here. One greater than Jonah is here. He's basically saying this. I'm the real Jonah. Jonah points to me. Okay? Jesus gets thrown into the sea on the cross, the squall of God's wrath. He gets plunked into the middle of it. And he cries out, My God, why have you forsaken me? The darkness of the squall and the storm. 
Jesus is there alone, like Jonah was in the deep sea of the belly of the fish, alone. So that anyone that might have faith in him, they would never have to be. So that because Christ is in that deep sea, because Christ is in that squall, to believe in him means that you'll never have to be, you'll never have to face it. You're off the hook. Your sins are forgiven. It's gone. And you are made new. Jesus in the sea means that our storms, storms are calmed. Our waves are stilled. Our sins are forgiven. He destroys destruction. All of it because he was thrown into the ultimate storm on the cross, took care of our sin for us in our place. The only one that can finally sink us, the only death that can really sink us, he took care of. Come to him. Come and get it. That's what your life is all about, friends. That means God loves you. That's the proof. You don't have to be separate from him. Dr. Keller wrote these wonderful words. He says, If the sight of Jesus bowing his head into the ultimate storm on your behalf is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care. If you know that he did not abandon you in the ultimate storm, what makes you think he'll abandon you now? He won't. Oh, friends, let that bury deep into your hearts and souls. I pray this morning that you will know that God loves you and cares for you, and he has the power to lift you out of any storm. That our baptism candidates this morning are saying something very simple. We were in a squall of our own undoing, we, we took pleasure in our own vanity, yet Jesus bore the death for us in his victorious life. He won it for us, and now we're new. We're pure, we're clean, we're forgiven, and we're destined for an eternal hope. Amen? Amen. Oh, come on. It can, be your, it can be yours too, friend. Come and get it. Now's the time. Come and get it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you 